I'm going to read Leviticus 23, verses 1 to 22. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defects together with this grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and a string offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it's true and that it's trustworthy. And we ask, Lord, now that you speak by your Holy Spirit through our brother, and servant Mick this morning as he preaches your word to us and we ask that you change us in response to your word to glorify you more and more in Jesus name. Amen. It's great to be here amongst you today and to be able to share uh, from God's word. It's always a busy time starting a church plant and uh, be assured that we're continuing to pray for you over at Harrington Park in the weeks and months and years ahead. Uh, one of the things that humans like to do is party. 
Uh, before COVID, we used to go to these things called parties. You might remember them. They were gatherings of people, more than 20 people. There was no four-meter squared rule, and you could touch people and hug appropriately. Uh, there were times when you could actually have celebrations together. They were awesome. Do you remember those times? They're so fond. Uh, they feel like so long ago, but as we meet as God's people today, we're going to reflect on parties, uh, on festivals, uh, all all of us love a party, even introverts from time to time. There's a couple of festivals that I like, would love to attend uh, one day. Now, you can't really see it. Can anyone? It's Cannes Films Festival. Who would like to go to the Cannes Films Festival? Anyone? I would love to go to Italy right now. In 20 minutes, anyway. Uh, next one. Ooh, Adelaide. It is a fringe festival. It's not Adelaide, though. Edinburgh Festival. I'd love to go to Edinburgh again sometime. This one. You can get carried away a bit much of this one. This is Oktoberfest in Germany. It's a great celebration and a little bit close to the home. Vivid. Uh, these are all times to remember. And as we think and reflect about these festivals today, uh, these festivals that the Lord appointed for His people were times of remembering, of remembering the past and remembering what God had done for His people. Uh, it'd be great to have uh, your Bible open at Leviticus uh, 23 as we move uh, through this, because all of these festivals here eventually point us to Jesus and who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Jesus Himself in uh, Luke 24 says that all Scriptures point to me, and if you want to know me, you need to know your Old Testament, and the more we can know uh, our Old Testament, the more we will know and love Jesus. Uh, the first thing I want us to see, though, in Leviticus 23, though, uh, is that the Lord speaks to Moses, and here He's not speaking to the priests and leaders of God's people, He's actually speaking to the people themselves, He's speaking to the Israelites in verse 2. These are commands for uh, the regular Joe Blow Israelite, whoever that may have been. And I take it also, as we reflect on these Scriptures, that they would have been for the children. Uh, children were not to be excluded from the gathering of God's people, they were to be there amidst the people, with the people, uh, in the midst of these celebrations. They were to be there, uh, because our children need to be there so they can learn about God's salvation too. It's not like there's some separate gathering going on and the kids sort of just come in every now and again. Here, the children are there and they're with their families, because these feast times are family times, they're communal times. They're God's family together, both the uh, smaller family and the bigger family. And as we see there in verse 2, these were appointed feasts or sacred assemblies. They were national gatherings. They were times to come together as God's people in that place, later in Jerusalem. They were times for sacrifice. And later, in Nehemiah, we see that these were times for the reading and exposition of Scripture. Eleven times, though, in this chapter, we read about these sacred assemblies and we also need to have Numbers 28 and 29 sort of beside us as we go through because they sort of outline all of the sacrifices that needed to go on. For the people, they just needed to turn up and they needed to bring the right things and the priests would do the rest. The first feast there, though, is the regular one that was to happen every week, which was the Sabbath feast. Uh, the Sabbath feast is the one that happens on Saturday. Verse 3, these, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. Uh, this day goes back to the beginning of Genesis in creation in Genesis 2. 
Uh, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The holy God creates a holy day for his holy people. The God who is separate from creation creates a day of rest so that his people made in his image could be like him and rest. This was a sacred assembly, a Sabbath of rest. And as we read this, we need to understand there's actually two types of rest days here in this passage. The first one is a day of solemn rest, which is this Sabbath day. And then there are the other days of rest where you could do no regular work, like in verse 7. So this Sabbath day was the weekly day on the Saturday where there was to be no work at all. So no farming, no trading, and in particular, you couldn't do any household chores. It was like the day where we, everyone sort of stopped. No one did anything. Do you remember, remember those days? I don't remember them very much at all. And then these other days of rest were days where there was no farming or trading, but you could still do the chores if you needed to. This holy day, this Sabbath day of rest, you were to do no work wherever you lived. It is the Sabbath for the Lord. It was a day for the people to imitate God in His work and to rest. And later, in the rest of Deuteronomy, we read it's a day to remember the redemption from slavery that they had in Egypt. And so this seventh day rest is quite important in the Old Testament. The seventh month of the year, uh, which we'll read about later, is a festival month. Imagine that, a month of festivals, a month of parties. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year in Leviticus 25. So every year was a Sabbath. Woo! And then if that wasn't enough, I reckon once in your lifetime, you got the year of Jubilee, which was the seventh, seventh month or the 49th month, where it was a year of Jubilee, a year of partying. All of these point to the need for God's people to stop, rest and reflect. It would have been, as much as it sounds cool, a major interruption, right? Imagine having to stop properly all of these times. Every seventh day, you needed to actually stop and do nothing. Every six months, you had to stop, as we'll see, regularly to reflect and remember who God is. That would have been major, major interruptions. But maybe it's good. Maybe it's a good thing that the Lord knows who we are and that maybe we need to rest every now and again. Of course, all of this points us to Jesus. And I just want to, at this point, just introduce this here. Uh, all The Sabbath himself that comes in Jesus. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. We read about that in Luke 6. He fulfills this Sabbath. He goes on to say that, if you want to find rest and true rest, we find it in Him. And in that sense, we don't need to keep the Sabbath in that way to fulfill righteousness. See, Jesus, when it comes to some things in the Old Testament, as you can see there in the red arrow, these things stop. I think a classic example of these laws in the Old Testament is the food laws. Uh, one of the ways that God's people were to be holy in the, in the promised land, was that they would not eat particular food, which sounds a bit weird, I realise, but it's Leviticus, right? It's all weird. Uh, and as they had this particular food, it showed they were separate. Now, one of those things that they couldn't eat was pig. 
I'm very thankful for Jesus for bacon uh, at this point because because of Jesus we can eat bacon. Bacon is good, right? It's a blessing from God. And so when it comes to the food laws, when we come to Jesus, He fulfills those food laws and we don't need them anymore. Of course, there are some laws that continue through Jesus. A classic example of that is murder. We're not into murder as God's people and generally as a society. And so that continues, okay? God is against killing in that sense. But there are some times when things go a little bit crazy or as the green arrow. Now, please appreciate the green arrow. It took me quite some time to figure out how to do that uh, in PowerPoint. But I got there, right? When it comes to the Sabbath, I think this is where it sort of goes a bit wonky with the green arrow, right? It's not that there's no Sabbath. There is a Sabbath. Hebrews, another book in the, Old, in the New Testament, talks about how there is still a Sabbath rest for God's people. But it's found in Jesus. So is it good for us to still have a day off? Absolutely. We need to rest. We need to recharge. We need to look after ourselves. But do we need to keep it in a law sense, in a righteousness sense? Not at all. Jesus has fulfilled that. And so as we think about the Sabbath, we think about it in that way there, in that sort of green sense, that it's there, it's a good thing to do, but in Jesus it is fulfilled. We then move on to look at these other sort of festivals and we'll work through these fairly quickly. This is a calendar uh, which sort of shows you the Jewish calendar in the white around and our calendar in the middle. Uh, the calendar for the Jews started in the month of Nisan, which is up the top there with the number one. Uh, I was quite confused as I was reading the Old Testament, you'll be glad to know. Uh, a number of times it talked about the month of Abib, uh, which is up the top there. What happened was, in the Old Testament, it was called Abib up until the exile, and then after the exile of God's people, uh, they took on the Babylonian name for that month, which became Nisan. And so when you're reading the Old Testament, it'll say Abib, uh, and what you need to think of is Nisan. Okay? I'm sure you've got that. But what you'll see there is that the festivals are at the beginning of the year, in springtime, and in autumn. And so the year begins with festivals and halfway through the year there are more festivals. And the first festivals here that we have in verses 1 to 22 are spring festivals. These are the festivals where they remember the Passover and unleavened bread and the, and the, uh, the feast of harvest or weeks, which is what we call uh, Pentecost. Uh, the first one there is Passover. Uh, Passover in that first month there was a time to remember the Israel's salvation in Egypt. Uh, you may remember it from the Old Testament where they got the lamb's blood and they put it on the door and the Lord's Spirit would come uh, and if they had the protection of the death of the animal over them, the Lord passed over them. Uh, you can read about it more in Exodus 12 and 13. This festival, we see later, was to be celebrated in Jerusalem. It was a time to remember the great salvation that they had won. It is a day of celebration. On the next day, that one is on the 14th day of the month at twilight, the next one is on the 15th day of the month and it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, it recalls the great salvation of the Exodus. It remembers that time when they, didn't, they had to prepare bread but they weren't quick enough to let the bread rise and so they couldn't use any yeast as it says there in verse 6. This was a week-long festival. 
Uh, it was to happen on the first day they were to hold this sacred assembly and do their work. And then for seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, have another sacred assembly. Uh, one of the curious things about this is that the actual, the first day of this festival would have actually been a Wednesday. All of the festivals started on a Wednesday to let the people have time to get to Jerusalem because they weren't allowed to travel on the Sabbath. And so what would have happened is Wednesday would have been the first day, uh, Tuesday would have been the last day, which means the middle day would have been a Sabbath. So there's actually three Sabbaths in the week, three days of no work, three days of rest to remember the Lord. They were to present offerings which are outlined in other parts of the Old Testament. They were to remember and recall God's salvation. And they, in particular, are to remember in verse 9, the first harvest. The Lord says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm giving you and you reap its harvest, bring to the bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest and at this time of the year it was a barley sheaf and they were to wave it before the Lord you know when we went to concerts and we used to get our phones out and wave them like this uh, or a lighter if you were born in the 90s uh, this would have been the time uh, when you got your mobile phone out and the priest would have got the sheaf of barley and would have waved it around they would have drawn their attention to the provision of God in the midst of God's assemblies. And it's at this time where they celebrate the harvest, that thing that happens that we in the city are oblivious to most of the time, because we go to Woolies and there's food there, right? But this offering was to be an offering at harvest. In verse 13, the actual, the presentation of the grain offering is actually twice as much as was what was previously mentioned in Numbers. The whole idea is that God is going to provide for you and that you need to remember Him. Which is why in verse 14 it says, you must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring the offering to your God. God first, then you. I mean, that's why we teach our kids grace, right? God first, then you. You have to take that moment to stop and reflect and say, hey God, thank you for this food that you've provided. Bless it to us. And that's what the people were to do here in this harvest festival. Wherever they lived, they were to do this. The third one there is the festival of weeks. This was a feast to celebrate the end of the grain harvest, the second festival. Uh, this was to be 49 days later from the day after the Sabbath. It's all very complicated. I'm glad the priests knew their maths, right? Count off 50 days up to the day of the seventh harvest, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This is the grain of wheat. This is where we get the idea of Pentecost, or 50 days later, if you're a nerd, that's the Greek word Pentecostos, uh, which means 50. And so 50 days later, they were to do this offering again. Again, though, it's a very generous offering. Two loaves of bread, this time with yeast, seven male lambs, one young bull, two rams, Grain offering, drink offerings, goats, lambs, it's all there. It's a bit of a smorgasbord to God in that sense. They were to also prepare and provide for the priests, we read in verse 20. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord. Now, someone at night church last week asked me what that would have looked like. I take it it wasn't like a lamb, right? I mean, I've got a small dog, but it wouldn't have been like a dog, right? 
I take it it would have been killed and the lamb offering would have been waived in that sense. But in the midst of the generosity, they provide for the priest, but notice in verse 22, right at the end of the Bible reading, they're also to prepare and provide for the poor and the alien, that is someone who is not from Israel, just to be clear. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, leave them for the poor and the alien, I am the Lord your God. This is what Boaz does for Ruth in that book. Uh, Boaz was a righteous man, he could have got lots of more wheat, but he leaves it there for the poor people to come behind his harvest and to collect it for him. So in the middle of harvest, they were to stop, remember the Lord, sacrifice very generously and provide for the priest who serves them in the temple and to remember the poor. We then come to the autumn feasts down the bottom there. Probably my most favourite of all these feasts is the first one there, the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, As a kid, I would have loved this day, right? A day where you could blast your trumpet whenever you wanted and no one could say otherwise. The Lord said to Moses, verse 24, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, Tishri, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly, commemorated with trumpet blasts. Would have been awesome. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. This would have been at the end of the agricultural year, and these festivals are much more solemn. In these days, in this month, there were actually four extra Sabbaths on top of all the other Sabbaths. This trumpet feast was also known as the Day of Solemn Rest. After this came the Day of Atonement, which we have heard before, if you've been following along in the series. This was the day when the uh, sins of the people were atoned for at the temple. It was a day of confession and sacrifice. And they were to observe this. It was a very solemn day. If you've got your Bible, come to verse 29. Anyone who does not deny himself, that is in the sense of fasting, on that day must be cut off from the people. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. This was a serious day, a day of reflection. It was the day when the sins of God's people were atoned for. And to ignore this day was to be ignored by God and to be destroyed and cut off. That verse, verse 30, is really the centre of that passage there in the way that it's written. This was the day when atonement is made for you before the Lord, when their sins were dealt with. This led to the next festival, which is the festival of tabernacles or booths. Uh, The Lord said to Moses, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's feast of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. Again, the first day is the sacred assembly, On the seventh day, they present offerings. But then there's this magical day, the eighth day, which I think is the last great day uh, that is written there. On this day, they hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is a special day of remembering, again. The details, though, are spelled out for us there in verse 39. So, beginning with the 15th day, After you've gathered the crops, celebrate the festival for seven days. The first day is the day of rest, the eighth day also. 
And what were they to do? On the first day, you're to take choice fruit from the trees, palm fronds, leafy branches, and poplars, whatever they are, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord. And this is how they were to do it, right? Verse 42, they were to live in booths for seven days. Okay? Now, a booth is not the Novotel. I checked. It's really not that nice. It's a wooden box with palm branches. And the size of the box was really dependent on how big your family was. Uh, And you used to do this with all of the community, right? So, you set up a little commune and you all hang out together for the week. Now, I love my family, I love my in-laws, and I can't really imagine those spending seven days in a booth with all of them, right? All native-born Israelites are to live in booths, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt, in tents, essentially. It was again a reminder of where they've come from, who they are, and to point God's people to the future so that they would not forget. It was to remind them of the Lord's covenant and salvation. Because right from the beginning, God knew that the people of God would forget. In Deuteronomy 6, He warns them, the land I'm giving you is really nice, you will have lots of cool things, what you really need to do is not forget me, please don't forget me. And he warns them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so he sets these festivals up to remind them to stop, to reflect, so that they might not forget. I've had a number of friends over the years who call themselves Christians, who in the end, as I've talked to them, they've said all the things that you would expect about why they're not Christians anymore. You know what? I I stopped going to church. I stopped going to midweek Bible study. I stopped meeting regularly with Christians. And I really wanted to get back into it, but I just, it just, life got busy. And it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we gather to remember. Because when we stop gathering to remember, we forget. I mean, that's what's been so hard about this season of life, right? And why it's so important that we gather physically, so that we might stop. I mean, this is really my big deep breath for the week. That's how I think about church, right? It's where I just calm and can be still and remember who I am and who we are and why we're here. And we do it in a way that's really human in the sense of, it's not only about here, but it's about here and it's about these and these, right? It's about using our bodies. These are not festivals of the mind, they're bodies, they're festivals of the body. They actually had to go somewhere and sit and rest. They had to set up a house. It was a real physicalness to their worship. It's not just a spiritual thing. And as we think about how we change people and how we become stronger Christians, it's through His Word and through our embodied practices that help us to remember those things. Education works to a point, but we educate ourselves also through our hands and our feet and our hearts and our bodies and our practices. That's why we encourage people to read the Word, right? But also how to use their hands and feet to serve the Lord, because that's how we put it into action. 
Ultimately, though, all these festivals point us to Jesus. Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's what John calls him in John chapter 1, verse 9. In the Last Supper, the Passover festival is fulfilled. Jesus' body and blood are given for the forgiveness of sins, Luke 22. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the first fruit harvest as the harvest of the resurrection, with Jesus being the first fruits. One of my favourite times as a kid was when springtime came and on the news they announced the first box of cherries arriving at the markets or the first box of mangoes, right? Because you know, in the midst of that, that what's coming? More cherries, more mangoes. Summer is here, let's celebrate, right? Jesus is the first fruits, he's the first cherry, the first mango and he's been resurrected and so, brothers and sisters, we too can look forward to the resurrection of the dead. This festival points us to Jesus. The Feast of Pentecost is founded and fulfilled in the giving of the Holy Spirit by Jesus in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The first harvest of Christians takes place. The gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out. So, Jesus was crucified on Passover, buried on the day of unleavened bread, raised on first fruits, and sent the Spirit on Pentecost. And so, how do we think about festivals today as Christians? Do we need to keep these festivals? Do we need to keep a Passover? Uh, Paul reflects on this in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These festivals in Leviticus are a shadow that point us to Jesus. They find their fulfilment in Him. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We grow as Christians through Jesus and remembering who Jesus is. And so, is it good to remember Jesus? Absolutely. Do we need to keep these festivals? Well, no. He has fulfilled them. But there may be festivals and practices that we want to set up that help us remember who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And that's a good thing to do. So, if you want to keep Lent, which is a festival where we remember Jesus up to Easter, good on you. Excellent. And if you're going to do it, how's the best way to do it? Not tell anyone, okay? Because it's about you and Jesus. Is it appropriate to judge others for not keeping Lent? Not at all. That would be to do the exact opposite of what Paul says here and in Romans 14. If you want to spend time meditating on Scriptures, loving Jesus that way and giving up something for Lent, please do it. But it's a you and God thing, it's not a thing we should impose on other people. Is there particular food that you want to give up for Jesus? Well, that's great. 
do it. But don't judge other people for not doing that. Because Jesus has fulfilled all those things. Jesus is about grace and mercy. Jesus is about fulfilling the Scriptures for you so that you may not need to feel religious in that sense. And so we find the comfort that we need in Jesus and not in festivals. The key thing, though, is to remember Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. Our festivals are really church, where we come and celebrate as God's people, where we get baptised in obedience to God's Word, and we remember through the Lord's Supper. They're our festivals, as a minimum. And we do them all together, and we do them communally, right? We don't have private baptism services at a different time. We come and gather as God's people. And we praise God that He has rescued another person from darkness, and we pray for them as a community. We bring our children to be baptised in the same way. The promises of God are for them in that sense. And we, when we gather, we remember God's uh, death for us on our behalf through the Word and remembering that. And as we eat and drink His blood and eat, his, uh, and eat the bread in that sense. That's how we remember. So, can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as we continue to work through Leviticus, that it's all about Jesus. We need to remember Jesus, that He fulfills these things and that we can look forward to the new reality with Him.